St. Stephen, deacon and martyr. Stephen, the proto-martyr, was one of the seven deacons ordained by the apostles, and he was the first to die for his faith. In his death, he closely imitated the death of Christ, praying for his executioners and commending his soul to the hands of God. The celebration of this feast was established very early in the church's life, and it is possible that the commemoration occurs on the actual day of Stephen's martyrdom. Welcome to Proclaiming the One Majoring in the Minors. This is Pastor Clint Poppy, along with me, Pastor Adam Moline, Vicar Timothy Steele. We are privileged to serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. We're looking at the minor festivals in the church here, and today we are parking the car on December 26, the day that we remember and commemorate St. Stephen deacon and martyr. St. Stephen Day, that is not a day that is uh, widely celebrated and recognized in the church, Pastor. Why do you think that is? Well, it's probably because it's uh, the day after Christmas, and so everybody is uh, still hung over from the night before, uh, and I don't mean necessarily alcohol-wise, but they're tired, they've traveled, they're with family and friends, uh, they're taking down Christmas trees and putting away ornaments, right? Or, or, ornaments? That's how, how my how kids does, say it. Yeah, I, we have ornaments at our house. Ornaments. I, yep. No, that's that, that that's a joke in our house there, so okay. I wondered if you'd catch it or not. That's why I paused. All right, yeah. Taking those down, taking down the Christmas lights, and uh, just kind of recovering from the exhaustion that uh, modern-day Christmas has become because we take the focus off Christ and instead put it on uh, family and snow and uh, Christmas music and fireplaces and things like that. Chestnuts roasting by the open fire. Yeah, Christmas has become a family holiday rather than a church holiday. It's a very, very sad phenomenon that's happened in America gradually, I think, over the last hundred years or so. And we can be honest. Uh, people go to church on Christmas Eve. Rarely do they go to church again on Christmas Day. And we've got three, count them, three minor festivals that happen right after Christmas. We have St. Stephen on December 26th, St. John on December 27, and uh, the Holy Innocents on December 28th. And Rarely does the church have an opportunity to celebrate all of those, and uh, it's becoming more and more rare that the church honors and recognizes any of them, unless they would fall on the Sunday after Christmas, and uh, we know how attendance is for that as well. So uh, today we want to take a look at the readings for St. Stephen, uh, Deacon and Martyr, and uh, Tell us what we know uh, historically about Stephen, and I know that most of what we know is actually in the Bible. Yeah, in fact, uh, there's very little outside the Bible about Stephen. Uh, and so we know about Stephen from the book of Acts. We know that uh, there came a point where the church was growing, and so the apostles didn't have time to do all the things they needed to do. There are just too many people to care for and too many um, people in the, as a member of their congregation. And so they say, what we need to do is we need to get more uh, pastors. And so what they do is they uh, ordain uh, more pastors to help cover the work that needs to be done in the midst of the church. 
Now their uh, particular area where they needed the help was with Greek-speaking Jews, uh, and we have to understand from the diaspora that many uh, Jews had been taken all over the place or moved around and lived in other places and didn't necessarily speak uh, Hebrew as their native language. And so we have a group of Greek-speaking Jews that are living in Jerusalem that have converted to Christianity and need particular uh, spiritual care. So they create six, uh, sorry, seven um, Greek-speaking pastors uh, to come and to care for those people's spiritual needs, among whom is St. Stephen. Now, um, as a result of this, there's some other uh, Greek-speaking Jews who uh, uh, fly in the face of this and don't like Christianity, and so they wrongly accuse Stephen of things uh, so that they can have him eventually killed and martyred, uh, the very first Christian martyr. In fact, his name, Stephen, even uh, as often happens in the scriptures, means uh, wreath, which is the idea that um, in his life he's going to receive the crown or the wreath of eternal life because of his confession of faith that Jesus is the Christ, the very Son of God. And so uh, even his name reflects what's going to happen to him. He gets the crown of eternal life. Uh, And so that's kind of the basics of Stephen. He's killed by stoning outside the walls of Jerusalem uh, and uh, makes the bold confession of faith in the face of that. Okay. The, uh, The understanding of Stephen as a deacon and what a deacon is and what a deacon does, that whole Acts 6 thing, we're going to get a, get a chance. Uh, that's our, our second reading, our uh, epistle reading. Uh, it's not really an epistle, but it comes from uh, the book of Acts, chapter 6 and 7. We want to begin with our gospel reading, Matthew 23, 34 to 39, the appointed gospel reading for St. Stephen Day, December 26. Vicar? Jesus said, Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that in you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of innocent Abel to the blood of Zechariah the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not see your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Wow, what a text for this particular day. Matthew twenty-three thirty-four to 39. Uh, these first verses are not on any recruiting posters for the seminary, uh, but this is the reality of the world we live in. This is the reality of... Uh, being a uh, preacher and teacher and a Christian, quite frankly, in uh, in Christ Church, and Jesus is uh, giving us these uh, uh, sad woe tears over Jerusalem, and uh, it is a uh, uh, really gripping, gripping text for us, Pastor. Where are we in the Gospel of Matthew when we're in the twenty third chapter? 
Well, uh, chapter 23, you know, we're getting towards the end of Jesus' ministry, and we're getting close to the place where uh, Christ is going to be giving the end of the world uh, discourse. In fact, I, I believe this might be a part of that. And and so it is focusing on the time of the church, maybe be what we call it, or the last days, what's going to take place after Christ's crucifixion and resurrection uh, until the time he returns. And so we're, we're speaking about that time period. And Jesus says, at that time, there's going to be persecution. Christians are going to be arrested. They're going to be killed, maybe even crucified. And that's exactly what we see throughout history. We have, for example, the Armenian um, genocide where Christians were crucified. We have uh, St. Peter, St. Andrew, St. Matthew all crucified. We have St. Paul beheaded. We have St. Stephen uh, we're focusing on stoned to death. And that's the reality. That's how the world reacts to Christianity because it hates Christianity. Vicar, who does the sending according to Matthew twenty three thirty four? Well, according to Matthew twenty three thirty four, Jesus is the one sending. He's sending prophets and wise men and scribes. Uh, Pastor, why is it important to remember that God, specifically Jesus, to whom all authority in heaven and on earth has been given, we're going to get that four chapters later, uh, to remember that he is the one doing the sending? Well, that's the reality of how the church has always worked. Uh, a person doesn't send themselves to preach Christ crucified, and anyone who tries to do that you ought to be very nervous of because there's actually a whole process by which pastors and, and even, by extension, pastor missionaries are sent. Um, and it, it takes place in a, the way it has all the way since the very beginning. For example, if we looked at actually the call of St. Stephen, we'll see that he um, was was called, he was taught, he was examined, he had a whole process take place before he actually became a pastor serving within the church, and that's the way it always has been. And so when it says that um, Jesus is sending these people, that's the exact truth, and that's the same for your pastor as well. The uh, who's doing the verbs is very, very important. Luther has a lot of words about uh, clandestine preachers who go where they are not called, and uh, God warns us through the prophet Jeremiah of the same thing. Woe to those who uh, preach where they have not been sent. Now, when I see that uh, Jesus predicts that um, some you will kill and crucify, some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, when I read that, that seems to me exactly what happens to Jesus. He's persecuted, he's flogged, he's crucified and killed. Uh, am I am I looking at this correctly, Pastor? Or uh, is this some veiled reference to what's going to happen to Jesus? Well, it is a reference to what's going to happen to Jesus, uh, and then by extension, all those who are martyred that believe in Christ. And so, I think that's an important thing for us to consider that if we ever do face um, persecution, or if we face even martyrdom, it is really. I don't, I don't know the right word, maybe a participation or a, a, a minor example of what really truly happened to Christ that is really important. And so in that way, in Stephen's martyrdom, in Peter's martyrdom, and perhaps our own martyrdoms, people actually are able to see not ourselves, but instead Jesus, which is the key. In verse 35, we have, so that on you 
may come all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of innocent Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Bechariah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Uh, without getting into the history of that particular Zechariah and Abel, how does the righteous blood of these Old Testament martyrs come on me, or as Jesus says, on you? How does that happen, Pastor? Well, in, in a way, um, it happens because the real blood that we should be covered up with is the blood of Jesus Christ that covers all of our sin. And if we reject Christ uh, and even persecute those who believe in Christ, then um, that blood does not cover us. And as a result, all the blood of sin, all the guilt of sin is placed upon us as well. And so uh, that's the way we're born into the world, sinful and, and guilty of sin. And without the forgiveness of Christ, it doesn't get taken away. And so it does cover us. It's, uh, it's interesting that we've got a lot of hymnody that talks about the righteous blood of Abel pleading to the skies. This, this blood that is shed, this righteous blood, points us forward to the ultimate sacrifice, the righteous blood of Jesus shed on the cross of Calvary. And a little bit later in Matthew, the Jews say, let his blood be on us and on our children. The blood of Jesus Christ is on you either for salvation or for condemnation because that innocent blood of Christ was shed on Calvary's cross. Is that is that a, uh, am I pushing that too much, Pastor? Uh, n no, probably not enough, actually. I mean, that uh, particular text oftentimes is said, look at the, the Christians from the very early day were uh, anti-Semitic. And actually, I'd say those words aren't actually uh, anti-Semitic. Actually, those are words of blessing for all of us as Christians. We're covered in the blood of Christ. His blood is upon us and upon our children in the waters of holy baptism, and that's how we're saved. And so it is a curse in the sense they don't understand what they're saying, but it's a blessing to us as Christians at the same time. All right, we need to take our first break. This is Proclaiming the One, majoring in the minors. Today we're looking at St. Stephen Martyr. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, majoring in the minors. Today we're looking at St. Stephen, deacon and martyr. When I uh, opened up our program, I was reading an excerpt from the Lutheran Book of Worship Manual on the Liturgy, uh, page 40, talking a little bit about uh, St. Stephen, deacon and martyr. And I want to add uh, just another uh, comment uh, from that particular paragraph here. Medieval commentators suggest that the three days following Christmas reveal the three faces of martyrdom. Stephen, 
martyr in deed and in will. John, martyr in will, but not in deed. The holy innocents, martyrs in deed, but not in will. The commemoration of the first Christian martyr the day after Christmas is a good antidote for the sentimentality about Jesus, which all too easily marks that festival. I thought those words were um, very appropriate and poignant, a, a way of looking at these three days as a unit that I hadn't really thought about before, and also that antidote to the sentimentality or the commercialism that so often uh, surrounds the Christmas season. St. Stephen Day is uh, commemorated on December 26th in the church, and uh, there the, the liturgy police are not going to come and arrest you if you decide to observe any of these minor festivals on a different time of the year. Uh, there are huge gaps in the summer where there are uh, very few or no minor festivals that are appointed, and uh, you, it would be very, very appropriate to uh, remember some of these at that point in time. In our first segment, we did a uh, basic introduction to Stephen, and we looked at our gospel reading, Matthew 23, 34 to 39. Pastor, before we leave that gospel, starting in verse 37, uh, Jesus says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Pastor, Jesus is weeping over Jerusalem. Is he weeping over Jerusalem only, or is he weeping over unbelief? Uh, he's, he's weeping over unbelief, but, I mean, in a sense, Jerusalem embodies that. Uh, I know we think of it as the holy city, but in a sense, um, you know, we look back, we talked uh, just a minute before that about Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, who's talked about in Second Chronicles 24, who says to Jerusalem, Why do you break the commandments of the Lord so they cannot prosper? Because you have forsaken the Lord, he has forsaken you, and they stone him. And then Jesus talks about uh, Jerusalem, the place where the prophets are stoned. And this is St. Stephen Day, who's going to be stoned. Uh, and so in all these cases, these stonings are taking place in Jerusalem, which is then embodying uh, this great idea of religiosity that doesn't actually believe in Jesus Christ, which is, I think, a big problem even in our world today. How many quote-unquote Christians are there who don't really give a hoot about Jesus? Uh, and that's the thing, then, that Jesus is talking about when he says, you're so close, you're religious, you believe something, but it's not in me, and therefore you're lost. And by ending that uh, with a reference to uh, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, uh, that's certainly a Palm Sunday reference where he's talking about his entry into Jerusalem, his entry to die, uh, and the same words that we sing in, uh, in the Sanctus, every divine service, as we prepare to receive him who comes to us, not riding on a donkey, but riding on bread and wine. Uh, I want to move on so we have a little more time to spend on Acts 6 and 7. Uh, I want to move on to our Old Testament reading at this point in time. Vicar, I hope you ate your Wheaties and uh, got, did your lip exercises today because uh, today is this is as challenging a reading as you can get. Second Chronicles 24, 17 to 22. 
Now after the death of Jehoiadiah, the princes of Judah came and paid homage to the king. Then the king listened to them, and they abandoned the house of the Lord, the God of their fathers, and served the Asherim and the idols. And wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem for this guilt of theirs. Yet he sent prophets among them to bring them back to the Lord. These testified against them, but they would not pay attention. Then the Spirit of God clothed Zechariah the son of Jehoiadiah the priest, and he stood above the people and said to them, Thus says God, Why do you break the commandments of the Lord, so that you cannot prosper? Because you have forsaken the Lord, he has forsaken you. But they conspired against him, and by the command of the king they stoned him with stones in the court of the house of the Lord. Thus Joash the king did not remember the kindness that Jehoadiah, Zechariah's father, had shown him, but killed his son. And when he was dying, he said, May the Lord see and avenge. Wow, what a text. And uh, I could uh, I could see a movie being made about this particular section of Scripture very, very easily. There's so many of these Old Testament accounts that would uh, play well in Hollywood. You don't need to doctor them up. They're uh, dramatic enough the way they are. Pastor, can you give us a little bit of historical context, what's going on here? Now, after the death of Jehoadiah, uh, Jehoadah, I don't know. Vicar, you did really well. Whether you knew those names or not, you did well. Um, the princes came and paid homage to the king. So we got one king dead and another king sitting on the throne. What's happening here? Yeah, um, so Jehoiada uh, was a, a high priest of the, the kingdom of Judah. And so he, he's, uh, during the reign of Ahaziah, uh, Ataliah, and Joash, he's the high priest. And so that kind of gives you a context of who he is and what's going on here. And so he dies, and it's during this time, too, that there begins to be, and I guess not begins, continues to be, a lot of false worship that's taking place. Uh, and so, for example, now in the Temple Mount, there's going to be a uh, Asherah pole that's built in a temple uh, is going to have an altar to Baal in there next to the altar to the real God. And so all this false worship is taking place. And so God sends uh, this man uh, to go and to preach in the face of that and say, the things that you're doing are not right. Right, You're breaking God's commandments. You can't prosper. And now that you've forsaken the Lord, the Lord is going to forsake you. And so this is taking place, you know, it's probably in the 800s B.C., uh, maybe uh, to give it a context biblically, it would be a little bit before the preaching and teaching of uh, the prophet Isaiah. Uh, and so that kind of gives you an idea of historically when this is taking place. Okay, so help me connect here. Is um, We've got in verse 20, the Spirit of God clothed Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, the priest. And then we have in... Um, Matthew 23, verse 35, uh, to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Are we talking about the same people here? Is this a different uh, account? Uh, help help our hearers understand that. Yeah, no, it is the same account. Um, there are those who would say it's different and we don't really know what's going on or that Jesus made a mistake because the names are different. But we have to understand the way that the genitive works uh, in these ancient languages. And so uh, when you, I could be Adam, 
son of Robert. That's my dad's name, Robert. I could also be Adam, son of Rex, who's my grandpa's name. Even though uh, I'm not my grandpa's son, I am descended from him. And the way that the language works in the Hebrew and in the Greek, uh, the genitive uh, construction is written in such a way that it can mean both of those. It just means you're descended from that family line. And so you usually go then to the name of the person that is most notorious, um, and that's the one you would be descended from within the last few generations, the one that is well-known, maybe, rather than notorious. Um, And so it's the same person. Jesus is referring to that. And Berechiah is a person that is also uh, in that family line, and Jehoiada uh, is in that line, and Jesus is is mentioning this year. Uh, Vicar, I hope you're paying attention because this is better stuff than you're ever going to get at the seminary um, because it is the actual practical application of a key text in scripture that some people would just pass off and uh, rather than taking the words of the bible seriously sometimes uh, so-called scholars play all kinds of word games and that is not helpful in the church that is not helpful for preaching and teaching to the people of god right um so basically we have the people who are forsaking the lord the, the Israelites, the, the Judahites. Is, the Israelites, the, the Judahites are forsaking the Lord. The king is in on it. Yep. God raises up a prophet to uh, call them back in repentance. The king and the people don't want to listen. In a nutshell, that's that's basically what's happening here, Pastor. Am I right? That's exactly the case. Okay. So... Um, These testified against them, but they would not pay attention. Vicar, you've only been doing this for a short time, but people preaching the truth of God's word and the hearers not paying attention. Is that limited to the time of 2 Chronicles, or is that something that you're seeing and that we continue to see today? It's certainly not limited to the time of 2 Chronicles. I mean... If you want to strictly stay within the biblical text, there's a lot more of the Bible that talks about the people of God not listening through the Old Testament into the New Testament. And even today, there are plenty of people in every corner of the church that don't pay attention out of apathy or laziness or that don't listen in the sense that they bristle against God's word and they don't want to receive it for what it is, whether it's law or gospel for them. The uh, Zechariah, he preaches faithfully. He's sent by God. Verse 21, one of the saddest verses in all of Scripture. But they conspired against him, and by the command of the king, they stoned him with stones in the court of the Lord's house. Pastor, uh, this is as tragic as it gets, and yet Zechariah here in Second Chronicles 24 is a picture of Christ. It is, um, and it's then also a picture of all the other uh, martyrs that there are. It's a picture that gets brought even into, I'd say, the book of Revelation, where you have the two prophets who are preaching and, and teaching, 
and then are uh, martyred again. In and this is again, this is what's going to happen to Christians in the last days. And so, all these things are the same picture: people being faithful to God and His Word, and the world killing them as a result. The baby Jesus comes to die. He is mocked. He is ridiculed. He is flogged. He is crucified between two murderers on an old rugged cross. He does this for you and for me and for the life of the world. And Christians and certainly faithful preachers and teachers can expect the same kind of treatment. And yet we do it gladly and willingly because the word of the Lord and the forgiveness he brings is sure and certain. We need to take a break. This is Proclaiming the One, Majoring in the Minors. We're looking at St. Stephen Martyr Day. When we come back, we're going to take a look at Acts 6 and 7. Don't change that dial. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Majoring in the Minors. Today we're looking at St. Stephen Day, traditionally celebrated on December 26th in the church. In our first segment, we did a brief introduction to St. Stephen, and we looked at our gospel reading, Matthew 23, 34 to 39. In our second segment, we finished up our gospel, and we looked at the great, great uh, account in of Zechariah in Second uh, Chronicles 24, 17 to 22. What a marvelous picture of the martyrdom of Christ. And uh, now we want to take a look at our epistle reading. It's a long reading, folks, so buckle up. Acts 6, verse 8 to 7, 2, and then 51 to 60. Vicar, take a deep breath, and let's go. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians, and of the Alexandrians, and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, All who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. And the high priest said, Are these things so? And Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. You stick-neft people, uncircumcised in hearts and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he... 
full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice, and stopped their ears, and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city, and stoned him. And the witnesses laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Holy Hootman, you want to talk about uh, an account that is uh, worthy of a Hollywood blockbuster. It's right here. And uh, we skipped a major part of uh, Stephen's sermon in uh, in this long text as well. Uh, I know, Pastor, you have a, a deep and abiding love for all of Scripture, but especially the book of Acts. And so we're going to uh, we're going to rely on that uh, a lot here as we work our way through this particular text. Stephen, full of grace and power, doing great wonders and signs among the people. Pastor, I thought Stephen was a deacon and not a pastor. He certainly was not one of the 12. Um, Who is this Stephen guy, and by what authority is he doing these great wonders and signs, and how did he get full of grace and power? Well, um, this is uh, before our text in Acts chapter 6. We understand that there's a complaint by the Greek-speaking Jews uh, that they're being neglected in um, the daily distribution, meaning they're not receiving the, the Lord's Supper. They're not receiving the, the things the way they should. And so they actually pick seven Greek-speaking Jews to become pastors to serve those people. And Stephen is one of those. And if you read it in um, the, the book of Acts, especially chapter 6, you'll see in verse 6 that they lay hands on these seven men whom they have appointed. Uh, they've been called. The congregations picked them out. They've been examined. They've been trained. And now they're having hands laid on them. They're ordained to serve as pastors. And we use the word deacon, uh, which if we translate it into English really means minister, uh, servant in that regard, minister, servant. And so it is pastoral office that Stephen is in. And as a result, then, the beginning of our text here, he is working as a pastor, which is the fancy way of saying, full of grace and truth, doing great wonders and signs among the people. He's preaching and teaching and administering the Lord's Supper. This is a point that cannot be emphasized enough. There are a lot of people that play fast and loose with what goes on in the early part of Acts chapter 6. They use this as an excuse for any and every kind of abuse against the office of the holy ministry, uh, everyone a minister kind of stuff, uh, lay ministry kind of stuff. These these guys are pastors, and uh, it's very, very clear if you just read the text, and uh, I, I think it's important for us as we, as we study this to make sure that we have that firm foundation that everybody understands that Stephen is persecuted because he's a faithful pastor. And... Uh, the same thing. The same thing happens today. So uh, we got all these different people that rise up against Stephen. Uh, they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Vicar, uh, what does it mean 
that they could not withstand the wisdom and spirit with which Stephen was speaking. Well, first off, in my opinion, the important part here is the spirit with which he was speaking. The words he was speaking were not his own, but were God's word. And where God's word is, it's powerful, it affects people, and there's, off, there's wisdom attached to it. And so when they couldn't withstand it, you know, if they were arguing with him, he would show them from Scripture that they were wrong, but also withstanding in the sense of, well, they just couldn't stand it. They wanted him to frankly just shut up. They bristled against it. The uh, And that's better than an opinion. That's the truth from God's Word. And uh, you don't have to... Uh uh, qualify or apologize for that in any way, shape, and form. When you are speaking with the wisdom of God, people cannot refute it. Um, they might not like it. They may disagree with it, but they cannot refute the truth of God's word. And so what often happens is when they can't refute the message, they attack the messenger. Pastor? Yeah, that's the absolute truth, and that still happens in our world today. I've seen it many times. Then they secretly instigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. They set up false witnesses. Again, Pastor, um, I'm seeing the same things happening to Stephen as happened to Jesus. Are we supposed to, the way, the way the words are constructed here in Acts chapter 6, are we supposed to be making that connection? Uh, yes, and then, too, I think it's even a, a little bit different than the time of Jesus. I mean, in a sense, Stephen is uh, participating in the sacrifice of Christ. I, I'm not saying that the right way. He's, he's an example of the same sort of thing, maybe is the way to say it. Um, but again, this is a little bit different because at the time of Christ uh, and his crucifixion, there is uh, Pontius Pilate, who's the Roman governor, who's overseeing things. And this is actually in an interim period where um, one of the Roman governors has been recalled and the new one has not arrived, which is why they take him right away and stone him rather than going to the, the Roman governor and getting him killed. It's their opportunity to really persecute and kill Christians because there's nobody there from the government perspective to stop them. Pastor, they make many charges and claims against Stephen uh, as if he is breaking the law and inciting the people. Uh, is there any truth or validity to these claims that they are making against Stephen? Um, no, and I, that's the part that we miss in our text that uh, unfortunately gets left out. When he's accused of this, St. Stephen preaches a sermon where he goes through step-by-step step all of the Old Testament and says, look, this is the stuff that happened, and this is how it all finds its fulfillment in Jesus. And so I'm not going against Moses or the scriptures. Uh, I'm actually preaching the truth of them, and you guys are the one who's doing wrong. Could, could it be said that they were correct in one charge simply because they didn't understand the theology and believe in Jesus. But the one charge that they make is um, changing the customs that Moses delivered to us. There's a pretty significant change that takes place with the customs that Moses delivered simply because of the death and resurrection of Christ, right? Well, I mean, uh, animal sacrifices and these kind of things. In a sense, uh, those things do not need to take place any longer, but it's not that uh, Christ came and uh, just um, 
told them they needed to to stop being Jewish in their in their nature. Rather, he said, "Here's the fulfillment of all of it." And, and so uh, again, it's taking the worst construction on it, which is a violation of the eighth commandment. And and, and this is a debate then too. Uh, you know, even with circumcision, it's not that you have to stop circumcising, but you don't have to require it anymore. And that's the the debate for like the Book of Galatians, for example. Okay, and uh, you know so. When you don't understand who Jesus is, what he has accomplished, why he came, that his uh, life, death, and resurrection are for you for the forgiveness of sins, you can come up with all kinds of wacky things like, uh, let's go to Israel and rebuild the temple and reinstitute animal sacrifices. This Christian restorationism, Zionism nonsense that you hear late at night on TV, it's really the same kind of misunderstanding and all of this is taking place there there is no political authority to stop it the church leaders are encouraging it and there's a curious verse here pastor verse uh, uh 15 16 and gazing at him all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel What's that all about? Well, what it means is that he is at peace, and there's a couple things that are being meant by that. First off, an angel, when we hear the word, we automatically think of flying babies with a bow and arrow, right? And kind of like Cupid. That's not necessarily the case. An angel means messenger, someone who speaks the word of God. And every time an angel shows up, people are terrified and afraid because angels stand before God and reflect the glory and the holiness of God, and they themselves are sin-free. And so when it says that his face is like that of an angel, it's indicating, first off, his message is from God, and now he, like the angels, is standing before the presence of God and able to see what's really going on in heaven. And that's what he he himself confesses, right? I see Jesus there in heaven. Uh, Those are the words that finally drive him crazy to kill him. And so that's the thing that it's bringing across. The message he's speaking is the truth because he's getting it straight from heaven and he can see there. I, uh, I think that is a beautiful way to explain it because what happens immediately following is the high priest says, are these things so? And Stephen now has an opportunity to make the good confession. He preaches a sermon, a sermon that will ultimately uh, cost him his life. But what does an angel do? What does a messenger do? You bring a message. And this message is not his own. This message is from God. And so he is completely at peace. He is ready to speak the truth. And he places himself in God's hands, no matter what's going to happen. We need to take a break. We'll continue our look at Acts chapter 6 and 7 when we come back. Proclaiming the one, majoring in the minors, we're looking at St. Stephen Day. Don't change that dial. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Oh, 
Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, majoring in the minors. Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Moline, Vicar Timothy Steele. We're privileged to serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Join us for worship every Sunday at 8 and 1030. Sunday school for all ages in between. Wednesday evenings year-round at 630. Come and join us in person, if at all possible. Every service that we have is broadcast on KNNA LP 95.7 FM right here in Lincoln, Nebraska. And check out our radio website, thecross957.org. Download the app, go to our church website, goodshepherdlincoln.org. Or you can check out a plethora of podcasts and uh, archived programs Hey, on- Faye, what is a plethora? <laughs> yeah, you can check those out. Uh, just do a, a simple search on KNNA Theological Programming. Pastor Moline's sermons are at With Intrepid Voice. Intrepid Heart. It's With Intrepid words Heart. Words right from the Lutheran Confession. Yeah, I get that goofed up all the time. With Intrepid Heart. And uh, Pastor Poppy's sermons, all kinds of stuff out there. I would love to have your feedback. We're uh, taking a year with Proclaiming the One now, looking at the minor festivals, a few occasions and commemorations in the church here. St. Stephen is traditionally celebrated on December 26th. In our uh, first segment, we did an introduction. We looked at uh, Matthew 23, 34 to 39. Second segment, 2 Chronicles 24, 17 to 22. The epistle reading, or the second reading, Acts 6 to 8. through 7-2 and 51 to 60 is a little bit longer and so we're going to uh, spend the third and fourth segments of this particular program on this text okay pastor so we've got Stephen who's a pastor he's been called by God he's preaching the word faithfully the people don't like what he has to say they argue with him when they can't win a theological argue with him, they plot and scheme and cook up all kinds of uh, false stories against him. They drag him before the council. False witnesses come forward, and things are looking uh, pretty bleak for uh, our old buddy Stephen, and yet he's calm. His face is like that of an angel. The high priest says, are these things so? And so the bulk of chapter 7 is the sermon that Stephen preaches. And uh, we're, we're going to look at a little bit of the, uh, the end of the sermon, the text here that's left for us to look at. But, Pastor, you, you made reference to this earlier. We pick up in verse 51 of Acts chapter 7. The sermon starts in verse 2. Between verse 2 and verse 51, can you can you give us kind of a summary of the sermon that Stephen preaches? Yeah, uh, basically, uh, the sermon is like this. Uh, there once was a guy named Abraham uh, who left his home and traveled into a land promised to him by God, uh, and uh, the Man Abraham was given the covenant of circumcision. Uh, he had a son named Isaac. Isaac had a son named Jacob. God promised through all these people that there would be a Savior, and Jesus is that Savior 
Uh, and um, it goes on then too. It talks about Moses because that's the accusation. You blasphemed against Moses. Moses came. God told Moses to take the people out of the land of Egypt into the land promised. And uh, Christ is the fulfillment of all these things that took place in the Old Testament. That's essentially his sermon. The Old Testament is true. It really happened. I believe it happened. And Christ is the fulfillment of it. Okay. So, um, sounds like a pretty basic uh, walk through the Old Testament law gospel sermon. Lutheran. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Stephen was a Lutheran. It's it's uh, indisputable. Okay. So, Vicar, what I want you to read is uh, starting with Brothers and Fathers Hear Me, uh, the end of verse 2, and then I want you to read uh, 51 through 53, which are the last few verses of the sermon. And Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in hearts and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Pastor, um, this is... a uh this is some pretty harsh law that, that Stephen is preaching here. Uh, when he calls the people stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, what's he saying? Well, stiff-necked has to do with the fact that they are stubborn in rejecting and not listening to what the Word says, that the Word he's just preached. Uh, but then the uncircumcised in heart and ears is a reference to not having faith. And so the two things he's really saying is you don't listen to the Word, and as a result, you don't have faith in the real God. Uh, he points out that uh, their forefathers um, persecuted the prophets that God sent, they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. Who is this righteous one that they have betrayed and murdered, Pastor? Well, it's it's Jesus, to put it simply, but the way he says it, too, is important. Um, when he says, let's see, you killed those who announced beforehand the coming of this Jesus. In other words, um, we're talking about Abraham in his sermon. We're talking about Isaac. We're talking about Jacob. We're talking about Moses. And we are going to have this automatic reference back to our Old Testament lesson uh, where we're talking about Zechariah, the son of Berechiah. We have all these Old Testament figures who all were looking ahead to Jesus. Their faith was in Jesus, uh, even though they hadn't quite fully grasped what that would be. They're trusting God's promise of a Savior. And uh, Stephen's drawing a contrast here. These people believed in Jesus. You guys don't, and your ancestors didn't either, and that's why they killed these people. The, uh, the stark contrast between the, the angelic face and the peace of proclama- proclaiming Jesus as the Savior is, uh, is now— um, I mean, it's just right before us. They heard the sermon. They were enraged. They ground their teeth at him. Uh, you can get pretty mad to be grinding your teeth in your anger. And Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven, saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Pastor, um, Jesus, as he hangs on the cross... 
He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He looks up into heaven and says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. We've preached many times with the uh, Tenebrae service, the, uh, no, the Treore service, the three-hour service, focusing on the words of Christ from the cross. And we've talked about how Jesus teaches us how to die. Jesus teaches mm-hmm. a Christian how to die. It certainly appears to me that Stephen understood and put into practice exactly what Jesus was teaching. Is is that a is that a fair way to look at this text? Yeah, it definitely is, especially when you see Stephen's uh, words here um, right before he is killed. He says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit, which is, uh, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit, the same words that uh, 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 Jesus kind of says. And so in a way, that's the same way we Christians are all trained to die, uh, confessing Christ on our lips, looking to Christ uh, with our faith, and knowing that this terrible thing that we're about to experience and go through, Christ has provided the solution and the way through for us. Uh, and, and that's the great comfort that we have. And I think lately we've really lost sight of that a lot. We've become so obsessed with not dying uh, as if Christ hasn't provided the ultimate solution for it. You know, we have this big debate about vaccines, right? Uh, we need to take the vaccine. We need to do it now as ASAP because we think that will stop us from dying. It won't. It might put it off for a while. It might not. We don't know yet, right? It might speed it up. <laughs> um, but the the real thing we need to have faith in is that the solution for death, no matter when it happens or how it happens, is Jesus crucified and risen to take away the sin of the world. No human being, by their own strength and power, can, while they are being killed by the mob, say, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. That goes against the very fiber of our being. It is impossible for us to forgive, to forgive those who hate us, to forgive those who persecute us, to forgive those who are killing us, apart from the Holy Spirit at work in us. Is that too strong a statement, Pastor? No, I think that, um, well, I mean, I think our, our Christian nature, created by the waters of holy baptism, by the call, gathering, enlightening, and sanctifying of the Holy Spirit— that that Christian nature does want to forgive uh, the same way that we've been forgiven. But we have that sinful nature that is terrified of death, that's always uh, kicking and screaming. And I mean, if I tried to hold your head underwater, you wouldn't just sit there patiently and take it. Uh, In the same way our sinful nature is terrified of death and wants to fight it and do all these things, it's only that Christian nature that's created by God and made alive by God that is able to do that the right way. Grace upon grace, strength upon strength. Uh, when he had said this, he fell asleep. Uh, he did not fall asleep, folks, like you and I fall asleep when we're tired at night. He died. He died. And Scripture talks this way because when we sleep, <clears throat> what happens in the morning? You wake up. And the hope of every Christian is the resurrection of the flesh on the last day. Right, and I think maybe we need to regain that uh, language when we talk about death as well, to confess that there is a resurrection, that the body we put in the ground is going to get up, uh, and even the um, the idea that uh, we don't need to celebrate the little bit of life that has already happened because the infinitely more life is to come on the last day, and that's really the place where our celebration and our hope and our peace is, and that will help us then to proclaim Christ again rather than our own sinful uh, human lives. Amen.
in uh, at the end of verse 58, uh, Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, introduces us to Saul. And we're going to hear a lot more about Saul uh, because Saul, does, Saul doesn't stay Saul. God dramatically converts him, changes him into Paul, the greatest missionary preacher the world has ever known. We've got uh, three or four minor festivals coming up that will talk about various aspects of uh, Paul's life and ministry, and so we'll save that until then. But we have here in St. Stephen a uh, wonderful example of a faithful pastor, a faithful pastor who preached the word in face of unbelievable persecution, and a Christian who teaches us how to die. Vicar, we want to bring things to a close by praying the collect of the day. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, in the midst of our sufferings for the sake of Christ, grant us grace to follow the example of the first martyr, Stephen, that we also may look to the one who suffered and was crucified on our behalf and pray for those who do us wrong. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. 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 For Pastor Moline and Vicar Steele, I'm Pastor Poppy. Thanks for tuning in today. This is Proclaiming the One, Majoring in the Minors. We'll see you again next time. God's richest blessings in Christ. <laughs>